It's 2023 and it's time for four. 2023 and it's time for four. The 4D experience is at your door. It's at your door and you want more. 4D experience podcast. Oh, it's the laugh at you when you Oh, oh, Nelly, it's good to be back. Man, did you miss me? It's been a while. Woo-choo-choo-pachapoochies. Dan Fogler for the experience. Holiday extravaganza. Extravaganza. Well, <clears throat> I'm scaring the squirrels in the backyard here. <laughs> anyway, here we are. It's the, uh, <laughs> everywhere you look, it's the possible uh, combination of the end of the world. And yet I and Cooper Andrews are uh, putting together uh, our own little intimate Comic-Con. We're calling on our Walking Dead friends and, uh, you know, and uh, there's other franchises we're involved in. We're calling on them as well and... You know, we've been on strike for a while, and uh, now we need some goddamn money. No, okay, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so we're putting this uh, this uh, kingdom fest together, and I'm freaking excited about it. It's gonna be in Atlanta, December eighth through tenth, the Chateau Elan, which is a gorgeous place. I I'm, I'm still smacking myself. <laughs> like, how do we get this place? But, of course, you know, Cooper walked in and was like, Hi, how you doing? I'm Cooper Andrews. And they were just like, Oh, my God, yes, let's do an event. So um, they got, like, a wine tours. There's a spa, man. It's pretty classy. And then we're doing our crazy Comic-Con thing here, which is, uh, you know, we'll be doing the regular signings and the uh, photo ops and all that. And And, you know, we'll be... There'll be a bunch of ads coming out soon about it. You know, we'll be... I'm excited because there's, there's like, a, like a, a big performance aspect to it. So we're, we'll be putting on a show, man. A lot of improv, a lot of storytelling, a lot of music, a lot of... You know, we're getting the band back together. It's a big celebration. Kingdom Fest, December 8th through 10th. Yeah, and oh my gosh. So I did this interview, New York Comic Con... With Max Brooks, and you know I'm a fan of his dad's, obviously his mom, and um, and it was just my God, what a pleasure it was to sit down with Max. I love his zombie books, and he has um, a new book that he's talking about, and I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. I really had a really great time. So take it away. Happy holidays, everybody. Max Brooks. Holy shit. Welcome to the 40 Experience Podcast. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here with the guy who played Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, okay, this. good. Yeah. I, okay, so I'm going to interview you. Uh, yeah, answer to my question, like, <laughs> like, how did Coppola respond to that? Okay, so I talked to a couple of people like in research that were around him. I never got to talk to him specifically. I got to talk to uh, James Caan. Who, oh, who, wow. Yeah, who gave me some really great advice. Oh, and who gave me my first dog. What? Yeah, so I'm a little boy. I'm like, I don't know, like five or six or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And right down the street from us was James Kahn, who mm. knew my dad from a uh, silent movie. Mm. He calls my dad. He's like, hey, Mel, our, our pit bulls, Luca and Trouble, had puppies, and would you like a puppy? So we went over and we got our dog, who would later be Pongo. 
our first dog I ever had. <laughs> That's so cool. What kind of dog was it? He was a pit bull. He was a, a, pit bull. a pit, American pit bull and a Staffordshire. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how freaking cool is that that, you know, Sonny Corleone gives you your first dog? <laughs> <laughs> was he just so cool? I mean, like, was he just... Uh... Pongo? <laughs> Pongo was amazing. James Conn. Uh, I, you know, I don't even remember. I just remember the dogs. It was right, only right. later I'm like, oh, oh that was... I'm like, so dad, so the, the boxer guy from <laughs> Silent Movie did other movies? Unbelievable. He, so he, I talked to him on the phone. He basically, because he's known him for a long time. Right. Brian, did his first movies with him. And he's, he kept on saying, you know, head back, straight back, <sighs> arms down, no arm movement. He kept on... So, so like real granular, not like well, he's not like well, he's coming from a place of this. It's like no, this is exactly this how, is the, how the guy stands. walks. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, he gave me such gems. But I, I got to talk to someone very close to him. But uh, she wanted to be off the record. But uh, you, you all can figure out who yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's it's in the past. And then she she gave me some great advice, but I never got to talk to him. And then he said he was working with a comic book guy, and and he basically said, I got a text from. Coppola about you, you want to hear what he said. And I got one text, and basically it was, Dan Fogler is very nice, and um, he's a very talented actor, and he was in a historically inaccurate project. Oh, wow. So fuck it. I like the first part. Right. Yeah. But but he wasn't happy with how they kind of condensed. They did. They condensed a lot of... Of that history. No, of course. I mean, I think that's the way with any biopic. It's like, I loved Winning Time. Mm. I don't know jack about basketball, but I just love the story and I love how it's crafted. But then I heard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, trying to learn about who I really am by watching this is like trying to learn about Harrison Ford by watching <laughs> Lego Star Wars. What are you doing at New York Comic Con? I am promoting my new book, the final book of the Minecraft trilogy, Minecraft The Village. How's that going? Uh, it's great. I mean, I'm going to be sorry to let Minecraft go because that was great writing in that universe. And yeah. also the fans are completely different than my other fan base. Right. You know, the... I'm in, I'm from the zombie <clears throat> fan base. Right, right. And I'm, <laughs> I'm used to, uh, you know, your book sucked and, uh, uh, and Brad Pitt ruined it. And I'm what? like, but wait, but if, but what, who, what? Whereas the Minecraft world, yeah. it's eight-year-olds saying, hey, Mr. Brooks, I love your book. Can you write another one? And most important are the parents who right. say... My kid's never read a book. Oh, fuck. And my great. kid picked up your book and is now reading everything in the house. And for me, for a dyslexic kid who, like, barely made it out of high school, Man. like, what more can you ask for, as a compliment than to know that you helped other kids read? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to be part of the franchise that, like, um, that really influences kids like that. And, and what's fascinating to me is, uh, like, I don't know anything about Minecraft, Okay. Like, I need you to help me. Yeah, like, you don't have to understand it. It's a video game where you li- you basically live in this world. And it's right. really cheapo graphics. Everything is blocks. Everything is, like, simple cubes. And you live in it. Right. And if you play it on survival, you have to survive. So, like, you spawn in the world with nothing except you're painted on clothes and an empty backpack. And you got to feed yourself. You got to find oh, okay. some shelter. Right, right, right. Uh, and when the sun goes down, the monsters come out. So you better get undercover. And you have to take everything in steps. You know how, like, most most video games, whatever you need is pre-positioned for you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, 
here is my AK, and oh, here's a, a laser sight edition. Here's your health. And yeah, that. here's my ammo. You know, it's uh, no. It's literally like you have to punch a tree to get a block of wood, to craft a crafting table, right, to craft it. tools, wow. to then mine stone to make better stone tools, to then make a house. And when I was playing it with my son, I was like, holy shit, this is the best teaching tool mm. ever. Because it like teaches kids everything about life. It's huh. like patience and planning and how to take life in steps, how to deal with failure, right? You, you build a bu big, beautiful house, you build it out of wood, and it accidentally burns down. Mm. Well, you can piss and moan about, you know, oh no, or you can be like, I have to build a new house. It's everything kids need to learn. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's teaching them skills. It's skills, but. As, as opposed to like beating the shit out of someone right. and pulling them out of their right. car. Like, how do I kill as many people as quickly as <laughs> yeah, possible yeah, and yeah. reload? Yeah, yeah. So this teaches kids everything, but the <clears throat> lessons are not obvious. Mm. Like, you, like when I was playing with my son, I, w I kept explaining like, oh my God, do you know what you just learned? Like you just learned patience. You just learned planning. You learned to have a, you just learned to have a, a full on strategy about what to do. And so when the video game company came to me and they're like, listen, we're launching the first official Minecraft novel. Would you write the book? And I'm like, oh. yeah, if I get to embed these lessons. So that's what happens. Book one. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I call the character. I mean, I call him Jack Black because he read the audiobook. He spawns in the ocean, swims to an island, and he's mm. like Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. And he's like, I got to figure out how to survive and turn this island into a comfort zone. Mm. And every step along the way, he's like, I just learned something new about myself. And then the last lesson is like, growth can't come from a comfort zone. Mm. Once he's tamed the island, he's like, I got to go. You, have, you said you had kids? Or you, you have kids? I have one boy. Yeah. He's 18 now. He's not obviously into Minecraft anymore. Right, right. He was more of a Grand Theft Auto guy at this point. Right. But at the time, he was a Minecraft guy. Right. Oh, okay, cool. So it's for it's for younger kids. <clears throat> you know, it's funny. Uh, I, as I've learned is like you play when you're young and then you get to be a teenager and you're too cool for Minecraft. You mm. graduate to, you know, I don't know, Fortnite or some other game where you get to shoot someone in the face. Jeez. Yeah. But, you know, but then apparently there is now this trend of like 20 somethings coming back to it mm. being like, oh, yeah, there's so much I remember. And that's kind of what I did with all the rules, like the, the life lessons in the books or yeah. like I don't expect eight year olds to be like, I understand this. It's like, remember when we were kids and grown ups always talked at us? Oh, yeah. Right. And we were like when we were little, we were like, huh? And then we were teenagers. We we're like, yeah, whatever. Know what I'm doing. Right. And then later you get into your 30s. And, you know, in my case, now I'm 51. And it's like. Ah, that's what they meant. What video games did you play or did you, that you loved? Oh, God, growing up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm an 80s kid. Right, me too. So I had an Apple II GS. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I played <laughs> okay. I played Silent Service, submarine game, which I loved. Ooh. I played Lucasfilm's Strike Fleet. Okay. Which I learned everything about surface warfare. So then later wow. on when I got this military think tank job and I was speaking at the Naval War College and I was like, oh, you were commander of a Spruance class. I know the Spruance class, yeah. Okay. Wow. So yeah, there was those games, but the big one was Sid Meier's Civilization. Okay. I discovered that in college. God knows how I graduated college, but Civilization was amazing. I learned everything about how civilizations work and how everything ties together, you know, knowledge, economics, military, mm. culture, I mean, God bless you, Sid Meier's. And then that was my first video game tie-in novel that I wrote and never published was he did Colonization. 
and I wrote a whole novelization of it just for me and just stuck in a drawer. Fuck, man, I was playing bad dudes. <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> yeah. The- I was playing... <clears throat> Well, you know, I wow. I got into the um, Super Mario Brothers and Nintendo 64 and all that. And, and I guess the precursor to that was, like in the, were you, you were in the arcades? Were you like... Yeah, I mean, we, we always had the arcades, but for me, because I was such a like, a like a weird loner kid, Okay, it was like, it was Atari. Then there was Intellivision. And then I graduated to PC once the PC games got sort of good enough, like, you know, Apple II GS games. Yeah. I'm, okay, so now I'm like, I've been avoiding, I've been avoiding video games since college because I lost a yes. lot of time. We've both, we've lost. <laughs> yeah. If you're like me, I, you've lost a substantial so, yeah. chunk of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, had to, I almost failed a bunch of classes because I just missed them. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, doing Grand Theft Auto uh, when I was <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you know the video game and uh, so my God and GoldenEye we'd have GoldenEye oh, yeah. tournaments but now you uh, I like what you're saying about Minecraft uh, my, I got two little girls I got an eleven and an eight and it sounds like that you're like, right there yeah. you're right there and if they're into Minecraft all you need to do is just play with them mm. or just sit with them and be like hey listen you didn't just build a house right. you actually learned something yeah and and by the way, like if, we, if we want to get like super deep and crazy, sure. Okay, well, this is. I'm not kidding when I say this game is is the teaching tool for the 21st century. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Because the video games we grew up on are brain training for the same education system we grew up on, which was designed for the Industrial Revolution. Right. So what I mean is like, okay, before the Industrial Revolution, everybody's like a shoemaker and they have their like little shop and they make their thing soup to nuts. Then the Industrial Revolution comes along mm-hmm. and it's like, no, no, no. We all have to come together and we all have to learn to become cogs in a big machine, right? The assembly line. So it's like instead of you becoming a, sh- a shoemaker and learning how to make a shoe from like wood and leather from nothing, you just sit on the assembly line and you do nothing but nail one nail. Right. Tighten one screw, one Mm. bolt. And so our education system was really designed in like the 1700s to get us ready for that. You know, it's why school bells sound because it's a factory bell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So standardization, standardized tests. Mm. I don't know how you did on them. I did not. But it was designed so you could be like everybody else. Getting anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But that's all gone. Okay, Those jobs are gone. So you had. With dyslexia, you had test anxiety. You had all. Oh, that. I mean, I don't know what. It, yeah, what your education is like. I had all sorts of problems as well. Oh, and they, and they didn't have a name for it. No, no, spaz. <laughs> you know things like that. Yeah, like yeah. Laziness. If he would just apply himself. Yeah. Oh. And I needed more time on stuff, and and just so right-brained. Yeah. That other people would say, "Oh, but yeah, but." You know, he's off the charts over here. <clears throat> right. And the teacher's like, I don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he can't do long division. Exactly. So, you know, clearly he's just lazy. 
yeah, yeah. And but thank God it was before they were just giving drugs to everybody. Oh. I, they did not medicate me. They were just like, "Alright, I'll grow out of it." Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the I was very lucky that I had the best mom ever because yes, you did. Was she? I'm sorry, mom, but yeah, she is. No, my mom. I'm sorry, all the moms out there. My mom wins. <laughs> My mom gave up her career as a Hollywood actress yeah. to have me tested for dyslexia. And when it all came out, she was like, I am going to become his educational therapist. Really? And there were no, there was no accommodation for dyslexia. Nobody knew what it was. Mm. So she actually went and figured out how to give me accommodations. Like you talked about the, the test anxiety. Mm. She figured out that most of the problem was not the dyslexia, it was the anxiety that came with it. Right. So she had to actually take the test results and the letters from the doctors and like fight the school every year for untimed tests. Cause you know, every year you get a new crop of teachers right. who are just like, well, you know, if you just worked harder. So that learning to type, cause they, you know, he has poor penmanship. My mom's like, yeah, <laughs> but if he's working for Ebenezer Scrooge, that's a problem, <laughs> but this isn't the fucking 19th century. Right. So she forced me into typing class. I was like, I don't want to do it, mom. And she's like, if you want to be a writer, you better learn the tools. And the best thing was audiobooks. Yeah. Took took my books to the Braille Institute and had them read onto audio cassette. Yeah. You, you learn uh, through my ears. Through your ears. That's what the test results came out. Yeah, They're I like, got no. That same thing for me. Right. So audiobooks. And so reading something. I could not no. stay with it. Jumbling and the distraction. I'm sure I had <laughs> massive, probably ADD or ADHD. That was not even, there was no test for that back then. Why is it now that people who overcome that are now like the best, uh, <laughs> you know, writers? And all, like, right? It, there's a trend there. Well, it's the funny thing is only a few of us do. The rest of us end up you know, in prison, like there's these crazy <laughs> statistics about like, really? yeah. If oh, you my. Don't under, oh, if you don't overcome it, then you're just fucked. Well, cause you can't, no, you can't be, because blend there, in. there does come a time and, and we've seen this now cause there's been all these studies about people in, in prison. Okay. There does come a time like emotionally when kids are just like, you know what? This world's not set up for me. So fuck it. Like, you know, what's the best example. It's not a learning disability, but do you remember in Malcolm X, where his teacher, remember, who was also in the Warriors, the guy with the bottles? That's oh, his, that's fuck. the same guy. Yeah, yeah, crazy. That's his teacher. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And little Malcolm is like, I want to be class president. You know, I'm class president. I want to be a lawyer. And the guy's like, well, you know that your kind can't be lawyers. And Malcolm X says this in the movie, and he said it in his book. He's like, it was that point I realized this world was not my world. Right, fuck. And that's what happens to kids with learning disabilities. They're like, oh, I'm watching all the other kids around me just blow past me. Mm. My teachers think it's my fault. So, okay, world, fuck you. I'm just going to take from you. Because I feel no sense of ownership in this world I'm living in. No, you're right about that, man. Yeah, I, I, I was this close to just, yeah, just being totally screwed out of school if I didn't have specific teachers that were like, Right. Let him, you know, let him try to oh, God do bless a theater teachers. piece about it. You know, like, oh, God bless God them. God bless them. You never forget who, and I bet you know their, you remember their names. And Absolutely. You're right. Never forget the good teachers. Yeah, Raz, thank you so much. He was my chemistry teacher. Right. And he, he, 
he allowed me to draw elaborate doodles on the back oh of my, my test when I couldn't figure out the fucking math. What? Also, not just not just the smarts, but the courage, right? The courage to stand up and be like, "No, this kid's not an idiot. Yeah. He learns differently, so I'm going to let him express it differently." Thank God for that school, like Poly Prep uh, in Brooklyn, where I grew up. Um, it was expensive as a motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, great theater program. So I was able to do a lot of stuff. I, I really they they encouraged writing there, oh. and so that so thank God for that. I you had, had an outlet, yeah, and that probably saved you emotionally. So you didn't just fall into despair. You weren't just like, well, I guess I'm yeah. just a loser. Yeah, especially like, you know, like. I don't know. I don't know. But growing up, like my dad was, it was, it was very much, you know, like the Simpsons, you know, mm. <laughs> like, like I would get into trouble and, and uh, the, it was just, don't, you know, get where, <laughs> get where is that? Dad? I don't know why we call him my last name, but yeah, it was very um, like that. And, uh, and so when it came to like re- multiplication tables and, and the angrier, <laughs> the angrier you would get, the less I would understand. Yeah, well, and that's that's the thing, is yeah. like, you know what happens when you're nervous. I mean, think about, as an actor, you know how many freaking acting classes which are like 90% getting over your anxiety. Right. Right? It's And they do all these different exercises you gotta do, but it's really just like, I don't know many people who are like, yeah, the more nervous I get, the more focus, like the more my brain switches on. Some people can do that, I ain't one of them. Was was to be or not to be your first? <clears throat> what? No, my first one was a voiceover in my mom's movie Fatso that oh, she wrote and directed. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the first thing I ever did. But then, then to be or not to be. Does be or not to be. Yeah, and that were was. Were you fun. like, I want to do it, or? or yeah, oh, totally. Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it, and yeah. then I did it, and I'm like, I don't ever want to do this again. Oh fuck, why? I just didn't. Too much waiting. No, in. no, waiting around, sitting around. Also, I didn't write yeah. the words. I didn't get the words. Uh, and yeah, yeah. The, when I got out of grad school, and my mother tr- really tried to push me to be an actor, I was miserable. I'm like, Mom, mm. this is just not. I might have been the only. I was like the reverse of the kid in Dead Poet Society. Right, where the bear's like, you can't be an actor. And he's like, but I need to be an actor. I was the opposite. I was like, Mom, <laughs> I, I can't do this. Mm. I can't stand it. Even when I get parts, I don't like it. <laughs> How much is the... <laughs> My wife, Jody loves Home for the Holidays. Oh, okay. not a great it's movie. It's like, like a favorite movie. She like, watches it whenever it's <laughs> on. And so one, I love the, that movie. And I'm wondering now, is your, what, was your, I'm just imagining your mom just like, like that. Dragging you around to auditions. Well, she she was very pushy. She's like, I'm gonna, you know, we have this agent. It's really great. You gotta get your headshots, and you you gotta go to acting school. And I did all of that, and it was really hard on her to be because you know, also because it was it was a break. Like if I was an actor, she could still advise me, right? She still had the ability to help me, and she had spent her whole you know my early life helping me. Just want to help you, right? She just wanted to help. But if I go off in a different direction, mm. she can't help me anymore. And that was really hard for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of the same thing for my dad. Like, I remember when I showed him my first book, Zombie Survival Guide. Yeah. And he was very much like, well, you got to cut this down. You got to get to the joke. <laughs> oh, fuck. And I'm like, Dad, not... there's no jokes here. This is a real book. And that was our break. Because he's like, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do from wow. this point on. And now... <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I want to see that in graphic novel form. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to... Anyway, that's a different story. Nah. But uh, that... So... <clears throat> okay, so you went your own way. That's how it, should, it has to be. 
It's got to be, and yeah. and it wasn't like I'm rebelling, or it was literally like this is where my heart is. This, yeah. I mean, by the way, it's what I've been doing since I was 13, writing novels by myself, hmm. just sitting there for two hours a night at the end of my homework with nothing to do. Really? Just, yeah, I would just sit there, I put on my little record player, and put on my little records, you know, scratchy Jimi Hendrix, and just <laughs> writing novel after novel, yeah. uh, two hours a night. Four pages a night. What was the first novel? The first one was I was like the A team kind of, Love fighting it. Nazis in the catacombs of Italy, yeah. neo Nazis. Uh, the second one, Marvel superheroes. Okay, great. what if Secret Wars happened on our school campus? The third one, Ooh. World War Three, uh, against the the United Arab Republic and the Chinese. This is this is in ninth grade. Whoa, dude! And the fourth one was like a fantasy novel. And I just kept going, going. I mean, I have, I have like a stack of stuff as high as me. None of them is fit for public consumption. They were exercises. It I didn't was, really. It was your training. Yeah, yeah, it was my training, and I learned how to be a writer. So by the time you write your first novel, you're like, I've written a million novels. Yeah, at least at least I didn't. At least I had the discipline down, which is the hardest thing to do. So at right. least I was used to that. How long does it take you to write a novel, though? It was a really long time. <laughs> really, Why really. Is this oh, so long? Well, for me, it's two things. For me, it's the research. Because mm-hmm. I got to research everything. Like, I got to know what I'm talking about. Okay. And the second is, also being dyslexic, the research takes forever. That's, that's huge for me. Because I, if I write something, I need to know exactly what I'm writing about as far as, like, how much does the M16 jam every 100 rounds versus the AK-47? Whoa, yeah, yeah. So it's like, because my hero when I was... And then it's just character. You're, you're peppering yeah. in there. It's brilliant. And that, and that research will sometimes shape how the story goes. So, like, when I was growing up, my first novel I ever read, I was 16, and it was Red October. And I was like, I got to be like this guy. I want to be like Tom Clancy. Wow. So reading books, talking to experts who live what I write, wow. doing it. I wrote this Bigfoot novel where I thought, well, wait a minute. If I put my, my little community out in the wilderness, <laughs> why can't my character just walk out? Yeah. So I had to physically go there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, what was the 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 Sasquatch? That was Devolution. Okay. And that was there was like an eco like an upscale, you know, like Zuckerberg eco community out in the wilderness believing you could have it all. You could have the beauty of nature and mm. you could telecommute until Mount Rainier erupts and these, you know, Whoa. soft, Whoa. completely overeducated, overpaid David Sedaris fans are completely trapped. And who's el- who else is trapped <laughs> by the volcano is a tribe of Sasquatch creatures. And it Ooh. is fall. So it's their calorie season where they have to load up before the winter. Fuck. And they're cut off from their their feeding grounds. And they come up against this little community. Oh, my God. And it's a, it's a pen of sheep for them. And so the Sasquatch has become carnivores. And, you know, these white-collar people, they're in a lot of trouble. Wow, that's great. Okay, 
are they classic Sasquatch like yeah. simian? Okay. Yeah, they're sim- which which took a tremendous amount of research about apes. Mm. Because I, I took all the, the rip your arms off. Like. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I literally had to calculate. Okay, if the if the strength of a chimp, yeah. given their body weight, is this, or a gorilla, then what? Right, something fucking seven feet tall. Right, what is what wow. is their bite pressure? Oh God, things like that. So I had to go deep. I had to study gigantopithecus. Yeah, gigantopithecus blackie, which is What's what that? that is. That's a true thing. Mm. Back in ancient China, there was a giant ape called Gigantopithecus blackie. Jesus. And it died out. But what if it hadn't? What if as humans migrated to China, it migrated along with us across the Bering Straits land bridge? Just watching. Yeah. And so I and I had to back it up. So like I couldn't just make the Sasquatches evil because right. they're not. They're no, just, no, I love the reason. It's yeah, like they're they just, have to. They're hungry. It's they're, like they're bears. And exactly. And so I did research that apparently all apes are omnivorous. Even gorillas, if they're hungry enough, will eat meat. Damn. So yeah, they got those sharp ass teeth. And imagine if you have no. Uh, remember that great line in Alien Three: "We have no weapons of any kind." Right. Right. So that's part of, like part of the research. They have to make weapons. So I had to see, could I actually make the kind of weapons my characters make with no tools? Because, mm. right, these are, these are the kind of people who would live on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Right. They don't have a toolbox under their sink, <laughs> right? They got nothing. Yeah. Could I do it? And I learned that I actually could, so it makes sense. So it's Halloween season, so this yeah. is like right in the wheelhouse here. Okay, so... I have to ask you, because I, I think about World War Z, and I think about that movie, and I think about Survival Guide, because that, that was my introduction <clears throat> to you. Right. And I think, uh, like, that's, like, I, I'm on I'm on The Walking Dead, and, and right. you, could, you could outrun those zombies. You right. Know? You, you could, right. The zombies in World War Z, I think, are the most terrifying because they're it's like they're ants or something. Yeah. It's like they, you know they're you, you know we talk about it. it's like they they they're like locusts, and um, that was horrific. Very different from the book. Tornado. Oh, no. it's very different from no, the no, book. no. My zombies in the book are slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for a very good reason, because right. the greatest threat an enemy can pose mm. is to be underestimated. So, like, think about COVID, okay. right? If COVID ripped through us the way, say, Ebola did or the disease in contagion, you know, where just people were just dropping like flies and there were body bags stacking up in the streets and mass graves that you had to burn with flamethrowers. If that's how COVID had acted, fuck. The, yeah, well, then there would have been no bullshit. There'd be no deniers, nobody calling it panic porn, nobody being like, well, it's not going to happen to me. Like, it would scare the shit out of us. It's the difference between Ebola and COVID. Like, remember when Ebola hit West Africa? Mm. We sent in the army. That's how scary Ebola was. We were proactive. Whereas COVID, that's the slow zombie, mm. right? That's like, oh, I can outrun it, or I can kick their ass, or hey, no problem. Crazy. So you underestimate the threat, right. and then you get in a lot of trouble. Uh-huh. Mm. That's why the, the slow zombie is infinitely scarier and more dangerous. Because let's let's be honest, if fast zombies are running down the street, oh my God, call out the National Guard. That's really scary. Right. But slow zombies, remember in Night of the Living Dead, they're like, we can break right. through them. So you were Romero Oh, influenced. hardcore Romero. Okay. No, Romero, and Romero gave me hope. Right. First zombie movie I ever saw was, it was, they keep changing the name, it was an Italian cannibal zombie movie. Okay, okay, yeah. And yeah. you... Uh, 
I don't know you well, but I think you'll appreciate it. I've heard of this. Though. I did not come to this out of horror. Okay. I came to it because of boobs. I understand completely. Exactly. I thought you would. <laughs> so picture a 13-year-old boy. Right. Right. Puberty's just exploding at the same time something else is exploding. Or can I see a boob? Right. Cable television. Oh, yeah. So mom and dad would go out to dinner, and I would, like, sneak into their bedroom where's it, where's the, where the cable was. Yeah. To try and find Police Academy or Stripes or some shower scene. Just one half a just, boobie. Just give me just a half. So <laughs> I'm watching something and I'm like, wait, this looks interesting. It's dubbed, so it's European, so there might be something. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, suddenly a shot. There's a close-up of nothing but a woman's chest. She opens her shirt and there's boobs. And I'm like, it's like babies and butthead. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I'm watching Titties. it. Yeah. <laughs> Boobs. <laughs> so she's walking through some native village somewhere, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so great. Wow. And then freaking zombies come out of the night and start eating people. Right. It was, like, called Night of the Zombies or yeah. So, so pseudo-sexual, that vampirism. because yeah, it's yeah. freaking Europe. Mm. Scared the shit out of me. Lived in fear. <laughs> Sorry. Like, what if they came for me? Because because right. you're and a horror guy. Influenced you for the rest of your life. Well, you understand this as a horror guy. You know that rule number one of horror is don't go to where they are. Yeah. Right? There's a giant shark in the water. Don't go in the freaking water. But what if the sharks came out of the water by the millions and started rampaging through your town? Right. So. With axes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Sharks. You know, zombies. <laughs> And then a few years later, I saw a movie that gave me hope, which was Night of the Living Dead, because that had rules. The first zombie movie was just apocalyptic. This one was like, no, 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 you can survive if you follow the rules. And so I made it my life's mission to figure out what those rules were, and they culminated in Zombie Survival Guide. So you're, <laughs> you're watching the movie World War Z, and you're like, what the fuck? Uh, well, all right, now that's, okay. So, is that what I, oh, no, no, I tell this story all the time. Oh, okay. And it ties into a show you were on. Oh. So, I watched, because I was not part of the process. This is something, you know, normal people assumed that somehow I was there hanging out with Brad Pitt. Right, right. I mean, like, no, 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 you've got to change this scene. You've got to do this. And Brad was like, yes, of course, Mr. Book Writer. Yeah, yeah. That is not what happened. <laughs> I was not part of this process. Right, right. So, the movie's about to come out, and an ad comes on TV, and it shows clips of the movie, and it goes, Coming up, the world's being invaded by zombies, and only Brad Pitt can save us. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> what, it, what? What? And my wife says, take a breath, and write to Frank Darabont. Okay. So, and as someone who's on The Walking Dead, you know he created The Walking Dead, yeah. and then was then fired. Right. So Frank knows what it's like to get royally screwed. Right. We're friends with Frank. I wrote to him. I was like, oh, my God, Frank, this is the movie. And wow. I, I thought, are they going to ruin my book? And Frank slapped some sense into me. And he said, all right, first of all, they're not ruining your book unless they uh, – can they rewrite it? No. You have your side of the story, right? If anybody is wondering what your vision was, there it is in black and white. And he said, trust me, take it from a guy who's written a lot of screenplays yeah. that have then been mutilated and put on the screen with my name on it, and people mm. think that was my vision. Fuck. So that was a big bucket of water of perspective. And I then, oh yeah. But then he did, he did one better, because he's the coolest guy ever. And he passed along my email to a friend of his who wrote back to me and said, listen, tell your friend, Max Brooks, as book writers, as novelists, we only sign movie deals for one reason, to bring attention to our books. 
Who cares what the movie is? Are people reading your book who never would have heard of it otherwise? Then what are you complaining about? And that was Stephen King. So I took that to heart and I realized like, yeah, what am I complaining about? Like people are reading my book who would have never heard of it otherwise. So by the way, if I had said anything to Brad Pitt, it should be like, thank you and Mm. leave it at that. Because if I got a problem with anything else, that's my problem and I need to grow the hell up. Yeah, yeah. Stephen King in the... Well, you got to go through all the different phases of yeah, and he really baby, got, you know? but he really got shafted. Like at least I wasn't part of the process. Like what happened to him on The Shining? Right, right. He, like yeah. he Kubrick was like to veer off. He fired him off The Shining, and you know, <laughs> to this day, I'm sure people come up to Stephen King and they're like, "Hey, man, The Shining was the greatest movie ever." Like there's there's no list of top ten horror films that doesn't have The Shining on it. Yeah, like I how does that feel for Steve? Yeah. You love it. Who doesn't love The Shining? Right. But how does that make Stephen King feel? Because they veered enough away from his script and he was fired off it. So what am I complaining about? His werewolves are the most terrifying. He wins with that. Silver bullet. Oh, God. Now, Gary Busey. Uh, I have the Gary Busey story. He's terrifying. Well, <laughs> his son Jake and I went to high school together. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So Jake invited his dad to come speak to us. Love it. And they're all because we'd seen the movie The Big Wednesday in film class, or so they're all asking him, and of course, me, the nerd. I'm like, Can you talk about Silver Bullet? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, yeah, man, it was terrible. There was, uh, there was eight Italian guys doing the werewolf, and they all didn't, none of them spoke English, and that thing almost <laughs> broke my arm. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Damn it, I wish I had a good Gary Busey impression. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that movie is terrifying. That's terrifying. Ooh. The kite with the blood on it. Uh. <laughs> I can't. Okay. So, okay. Are you kind of terrified because nowadays you read the, the headlines and you're just like, wait a minute. There's not just one way that we can all become zombies. <laughs> There's like a thousand fucking different ways. Of yeah. How, well, I'm, you know what? I am the opposite of some people because I get asked a lot, like, <clears throat> you know, you write about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, are you afraid you're going to scare people? And I'm like, no, I'm mm. I'm assuming they're already scared, yeah. and I'm trying to calm them down. Exactly. Because oh. I, I think you, all right, I think you, you just hang with me for a second. You see, where, you. you see where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing more terrifying than our own imagination, mm-hmm. right? And if we don't know what we're dealing with, our imagination can fill in those gaps pretty well, yeah. right? So think about when you saw Jaws. God, I can never go into the ocean all right. again. So when I saw Jaws, Act one and act two were the most terrifying because I didn't know what the fuck was in the water. Right. Right? It was from the shark's perspective. Right. But that scene when they're at the top of the mast of the ship, Mm. the orca, and you see the actual shark from nose to tail. Smile, you son of a bitch. Well, suddenly I was calm. I was like, now I know what I'm dealing with. Right, it's, it's organic. Right. So one of the reasons I write about this stuff and I study this is because I want to know what I'm dealing with so then I can figure out how to survive it. Are you going to go see that show on Broadway about Jaws? That shark is working? Oh, my God. I would love to because... I want to go see I mean, that's one of those... It's one of those great Hollywood stories where you're like, Spielberg was a genius all from the shark's perspective. And Spielberg's (laughs) like, no, the damn shark didn't work. Exactly. The shark is working. 
<laughs> like I've seen Dreyfus tell that story in different, like behind the scenes from like over twenty years. It's the same story. It's hysterical. One day we heard uh, every day the shark's not working. The shark's not working. So one day I'm playing the water <laughs> polo with this wonderful girl. And so we hear Shh, the shark is working. Then we got to work, and the next thing we knew, we were off to the races. <laughs> okay, so yeah, man. I I worry about there's a lot. What, what do you what do you think about? Do you think about several different ways of oh, becoming yeah. a zombie, and they're all you're tapping into it in, in the zeitgeist where you have the the fungal mushroom. Oh yeah, way which yeah. is horrific. Which Last of Us. I mean, right. I I watched that and I was I didn't expect much of it. I'm like it's a freaking video game tie, and how good could it be? And I'm like. This is really good. Well, it's based on the science of fucking real mushrooms. Well, and it's got great characters and a great story, and wow. But but the thing with me with zombies, and one of the, the why I wrote Zombie Survival Guide yeah. and World War Z, mm. was I realized as I was really thinking about it and studying it, is like any other major disaster, most people don't die of the primary, right? If there was a real zombie plague, you would die of what the military calls second and third order effects. What I mean is, like in war, how many people actually die of enemy fire who die of disease, infection, starvation, dehydration? Same thing with a zombie plague. I realized, holy shit, most people would never die ever seeing a zombie. They die when the power goes out, the water goes out, the toilets don't flush, there's no more doctors, there's no more fire department, your neighbor's shanking you for a can of beans, Right. right? That's... What's going to kill most people when the dead rise? And then they're, they just, did they just rise? Is that the situation? Well, this is interesting. That's what happened in The Walking Dead. Yeah, see, that's not the way I work it out because in my attitude, that's too easy. For me, it's got to be transferred by, by fluid, bites or whatever fluid gets in you because I base that on the plague I grew up in, which is AIDS. Right. Because to me, what's interesting is not that they win, it's that we lose, that you have something that is stoppable. You know, the zombies are not, they're very stoppable. They're not invincible. So if they do end up taking over the planet, it's because we make mistakes. Mm. There's a great scene in, in the unedited Dawn of the Dead, the Romero unedited Dawn of the Dead. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But like, they're watching TV and Flyboy says like, why don't people just organize? We can do this. If people would just do what has to be done and make the right choices. Right, 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 right. And nowadays, post-COVID, you're like, yeah, good question, Flyboy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what has been, do you think you go back into the zombie world? Or <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, people are like, you, you got to write a sequel to World War Z. I mean, I'm the worst. I'm the world's worst businessman ever. Because if I was smart... I would have written a sequel to World War Z, and then after the Brad Pitt movie, he plays this guy Jerry Lane, I would have written a series of novels called The Jerry Lane Adventures, like mm-hmm. the Bourne novels. Right, 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 right. I'm so stupid. I fought to keep Brad Pitt's picture off the book simply because his character Jerry Lane is not in the book. Which, I didn't right. I didn't want people picking well, up my book. Could you do it from another angle? Could you do it from if I was if I was a better business person? That's what I would do. But <laughs> okay. I was like, you can't do that. You can't. That's false advertising. I don't want people picking up World War Z the book and being like, oh, cool, Jerry Lane. I want to see what other adventures he gets into. And it's like, what the fuck is Jerry Lane? What is this shit? <laughs> uh, I uh, yeah. Okay, so the zombie guide is very helpful. 
I think so. Yeah. I, I always feel like I, just because of the associations that I've had and the shows that I've been on, that I would do okay in a zombie, <laughs> in a zombie apocalypse. But, or I would just be like, I don't know, not surprised or something. or Because I feel like a lot of people would just... Would just be like flipping the fuck out. I'd just be like, "Are you? Are you? Are you not? Like it's, it's like well, it's, that's come on. We were, yeah. we were begging for it. That's know? that's the shock. It's funny. I was doing a comic con years ago, and there was a guy in a wheelchair <laughs> yeah. during the Q and A, and he was joking, and he was like, "Hey, in a zombie outbreak, would I be the first to die?" And I'd be like, "No, you'd be the last to die." And he's like, "How do you figure that?" I'm like, "Whoa," because most people would die in the interim of just the shock. Right. Just trying to psychologically make that shift from like everything's OK to everything's not OK. Right. That gray area of like, I don't know what to do. That's when everyone would die. I'm like, <laughs> you hesitate. I'm like, dude, you wake up every day <laughs> basically figuring out how am I going to get through this day? Right. In a world that is not set up for me, how do I do this? So you already have the mindset that when the dead rise and everyone's like, I don't know what to do, I'm going to die. <laughs> You're going to be like, yeah, welcome to my world, man. I'm going to be the last one. Are they going to do any animation or live action from your Minecraft stuff? Or? That is a really good question because I think, as I understand, you probably are better at this than me. You probably understand how big corporations do big media rollouts of <laughs> IP. Right? I'm just, uh, I'm just a novelist. As I understand it, when there's an IP, when there's a franchise, yeah. you, you come out with a flagship production, like a movie or something like that, and then when the movie hits, or if it hits, you then build off that. You then go from there, kind of like what Marvel did. You know, Their first sort of big movie was X-Men, remember when we were younger? Yes. It was like, oh wow, you can actually do a real superhero movie. And they did that, and then they built out from there. So I think, I could be wrong. Like I said, ain't nobody telling me anything. I think they're going to maybe do the Minecraft movie first and then build out. And maybe at some point someone will be like, hey, you know, we got these three Minecraft right, books and people like them and they're doing well. And maybe they'd be a good limited animated series. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah. Would you ever take a crack at, because I love G.I. Joe and you, and I wrote for Judge. Yes. Yeah. Were you a fan of the cartoon growing up? Are you kidding? I can, yeah. I can recite the cartoon. And, and I think I'm a little older than you. So you probably grew up on G.I. Joe Phase 2 with like Lady J and Duke and all those guys. Whoa. I'm older school. You I'm, just had one G.I. Joe. I mean, no, I'm the, like the first 12 of them. Because the first miniseries. Okay. The first miniseries was like 83 or 84. And that was the Cobra Mass device. Okay, that yeah. was Duke. Pretty sure right? I saw that. <laughs> yeah. That was Duke, and that was Scarlet, and that was Stalker. Right. right? That was the first generation. Fuck and yeah. It did so well that the next year they brought in, like, you know, Lady J, and they brought in uh, Flint. Sorry, Flint. Flint. Not, yes. you know, I didn't say Duke and Lady J. I'm sorry, I have a mistake. Flint, Flint and Lady J. Right. And then they brought in all the other characters, like Quick Kick, who was shirtless in the Arctic. Well, I have, yes. Exactly. Well, I, I, I was a fan of Snake Eyes and uh, well, remember they Storm had, Shadow. That okay, was. so by the time the Mark II Snake Eyes came along, remember he had he had a wolf? Yeah. Well, in the first series, he met that wolf. 
He was drawn completely different. His action figure was completely different. You he's can. all he's all radiated when they found the crystals. Whoa. The red crystals. And so he's completely sick from radiation sickness in the wilderness. And there's a wolf wow. that's trapped in a, a bear trap. And he lets the wolf go and the wolf sort of runs away. But then he's attacked by a bear and the wolf like jumps in. Yeah. And then John Stevenson, who played Mr. Slate, plays like an old blind man in the wilderness who rescues him. Yeah. And says, ah, your dog, he needs a, your wolf. Your wolf friend needs a name. Timber is a perfect moniker. And then <laughs> that became a standard character. Wow. Timber. And then later in that, the canister was booby trapped. The radiation comes out. Timber helps out. And CoverGirl goes, Timber, you're my kind of wolf. Did you collect the toys? The, uh, oh, yeah. I had, I mean, I used to have incidents where there would be sort of not a civil war, but definitely right. like an incident between <laughs> the Cobra standard warriors yeah. and the Crimson Guard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, so, oh, from Star Wars. Well, no, no, the Crimson Guard were the elite red Cobra troopers. Weren't the Crimson Guard also called that in Star Wars? They might have been also. Motherfuckers. But remember, Cobra had the Crimson Guard. Right, the red I, guys, okay. Yeah, I did not know this later, <laughs> but that is apparently how all dictatorships work. All dictatorships or all sort of, you know, non-democratic governments yeah. need two armies. So the army can never have a coup. You need a second army to check them. Whoa. So the Nazis had the Wehrmacht, the military, and the SS. The Soviets had like the Red Army and the KGB. Whoa. Today, the Iranians have the military and the Revolutionary Guard. Oh my God. So literally, whoever was designing Cobra was they like, was yeah, they were like, Cobra commander needs his own private army to check the military in case they ever turn on him. Right, right. And they were just basing it on history. Like, that's brilliant. I love that fucking show. I had all the toys. I would I would just have civil wars in my room, like yeah. we're talking about. And then I would get my Entertech water guns and shoot oh, them all yeah. down. Anyway, so you think they would give you a, a <clears throat> shot at making a movie? Or? I don't think so, because I think I go way too serious and real. That's what it needs, man. Of course it needs that. I mean, what, what G.I. Joe, I think, needs is, like, a Chris Nolan remake. Fuck yeah. Like, the way he did for Batman. Yeah. Because we're all, that's the thing, like, we're all growing up and we're all smart, and we don't have that suspension of disbelief like we used to. Like, how freaking genius was it in Batman when Morgan Freeman is like, oh, Wayne Enterprises has all these cool toys, but because they were military prototypes, right. the Pentagon did not buy because the truth is, you can't, Bruce Wayne couldn't just make this stuff up. Somebody yeah, would yeah. catch on. Somebody would be like, "Wait a minute, why are you? How are you? What do you? You have to build it. You have to test it. You have to ship it. Somebody would know. But if it's already built and tested and shipped and sitting in a warehouse somewhere, throw a bat sign on right. it. Right. So I think that needs to be the case for a really successful GI Joe. But you know, what do I know? That's a great idea. I mean, hey, I'd watch that. Love fucking GI Joe. Okay, we're we're wrapping up here. This was a delight and a wonderful engagement. And is that the right word? Whatever. It's New York Comic Con. And you, sir, in my mind, Max Brooks, are, um, I don't know if it feels strange to hear it, but I don't care. <laughs> you're, 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 you're entertainment royalty. You are a prince. Uh, which is of... funny because you played the prince. You know, that was Coppola's nickname. Oh, crazy. Yeah, people around him are like, oh, here comes the prince. Well, I love that. I feel just honored to to 
be near you because of uh, your blood is sacred. <laughs> do you want to know what your name is? What is my name? What your name means. I do this for all my guests who are awesome and cool. D- do you tell? <clears throat> Maximilian. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, it means... So everyone's name is like a, hi- <laughs> a haiku, basically. So oh. Maximilian is, uh, you know, the greatest. The Max is... I, w- I was heard it was the most. The most. Not. Yeah. Michael <laughs> means gift from God. I didn't know that. Yeah. I just thought it was a name that everybody in my family has in the middle. Everybody has it? Pretty, pretty much. All, certainly the Italian side, because right. I'm half Italian. Yeah, yeah. So everybody is Michael. Is it my cousin Michael? My grandfather was Michael. My middle name is Michael. My son's middle name is Michael. It's just, it's it. just always Love there. It. Michael. Um, no, but that means gift from God. Like, uh, there's a lot of names that mean a derivative of something from God. Or, right. Yeah. Huh. Brooks. Brooks. Is a derivative of Baruch. Okay. Which is blessed, and it's also brooks, which means river. Right, blessed right. river. Okay. Which I always thought it was just an anglicized name that my dad adopted. Okay. Because his, his mother was named Brookman. Okay. When they emigrated from Ukraine, it was Brookman. Okay. So, and he was just like, it was, you know, it was the 50s. So right. he's like, nobody's going to hire Melvin Kaminsky. Okay. So he's like, oh, Mel Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is your moniker, man. This is, your, this is what you, you go by. Yeah. This is what, your, the ripples of your influence, that's your name. Which has been passed down to now Henry Michael Brooks, yeah. my son. Beautiful. He said to me when he's bar mitzvah, he's like, you know, Dad, I have like the least Jewish name ever. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that's another very Jewish thing. So I'm like, you know, all these names that we think are Jewish, like my dad had three brothers, okay. Irving, Lenny, and Bernie. Yeah, Which yeah. we are like, those are like the most Jewy <laughs> names ever. Yeah, yeah. But back when they were named that, yeah. they named them that because they were English royalty names. Right. Leonard, right. Bernard, Irving. These were all like, you know, Lord Irving. Wow. And we were, you know, Jews were trying to fit in. They were like, no, give them English names. That's hysterical. That's hysterical, man. Max Brooks. An absolute pleasure. I hope you had a good time. This was so much fun, and it was so awesome to geek out over you being in The Offer, one of the best TV shows in the last decade. God. Uh, Wow. I mean, uh, you know, thank you. I'm honored that that you loved it. I had a blast making it. Yeah. I hope so. Blast watching it. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you for coming on. The Dan Fogler 40 Experience Podcast, New York Comic Con Edition. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. I won't laugh at you when you boo-hoo-hoo Cause I love you I can't tell my